This is the Life and Soul podcast with me, Emma Forbes. 2020 really was an eventful year. And amidst the madness, we've all had time to reflect on what we most appreciate in life. And although we're still surrounded by uncertainty, it's important to be reminded of what really matters. I'm going to be asking some fabulous guests what makes them tick, asking them what really gives them life and what really feeds their soul. So join me for some nuggets of wisdom, a moment to breathe, and above all, a good old chat over a virtual cup of tea. And I hope that by listening, you'll leave feeling a little brighter about the year ahead. Today, I'm joined by another Emma. She's the host of the Emma Guns Show, which features interviews with celebrities, brand creators, editors, and authors. This podcast launched in April 2016, over 8 million downloads. Do I sound jealous? Yes, hell I am. Emma, I'm thrilled to have you on. I was going to, I said to you, I was going to pronounce your, it's called the Emma Guns Show, but your real surname, shall I just have a go at it and Please annoy do. you? No, no, go ahead. I have to do that thing that broadcasters do when they don't quite know how to pronounce a surname is you sort of start off boldly and then you just do the surname hesitantly. But I'm just going to go for it. Emma Gennardvana. Well, I like it, but... (laughs) (laughs) It's not your name. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I'm Emma Guns. And at school, I used to have a games teacher who I remember distinctly who used to call me Emma Gennanthram. But it's Emma Gunnawardner. Yeah, so I'd like to say I was close, but <laughs> but I but I wasn't. So apologies, because there can be nothing worse than somebody getting your surname wrong. Tell me about the podcast, because I love the podcast. I love what you're doing. There's no topic that's off limits. You talk about sort of accessible insight into everything, from you know, mental health to starting a business to looking after your physical health, everything that I love. So what made you decide to do that? Um, right. Shall I be incredibly honest and say, in some ways, it was desperation and suddenly realizing when I went freelance after 10 years on a magazine that I wasn't as skilled at writing as I needed to be in order to have a successful freelance career. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that. That's the honest truth. I think I thought very arrogantly that I could transition into being a freelance writer I could write first person pieces and I'd be able to do interviews with celebrities. You know, in my head, I thought, oh, sure, I interviewed people for OK, therefore I could do cover interviews for Saturday <laughs> Times and Marie Claire. <laughs> and the doors weren't as open as I thought they would be. And also yeah. there is, it's quite challenging sometimes to convince people of your ability to do those things and be a safe pair of hands when you have worked on what is established, essentially considered to be a tabloid. Uh, OK's uh, reputation is not one of top tier press. It's of celebrity weddings and celebrity gossip. And even though that wasn't, I mean, look, my day. And even though everybody buys it and loves it, let's just put that out there. Absolutely. But my title there was beauty editor. And then I started doing the fashion pages. But I would cover celebrity weddings and celebrity baby bump shoot, like bump and baby shoots. So my job was essentially getting to learn and write about music, beauty and fashion on quite a surface level. It has to be said, I wasn't writing in-depth beauty features or anything like the content that we create on the podcast today. But I was also then going to celebrities' homes and enjoying with them really glorious and beautiful moments in their lives. So it was a really wonderful job in many ways. Yeah. speak to people about a much longed for baby or an exciting period in their life that was coming up or a wedding. So it was a really interesting 10 years, I have to be honest. No, I think that's great. And I think I love your honesty about it because, you know, I totally get that. It's like when I tried to go back into TV sort of 
out, out here when I moved to America and you suddenly realize that actually it's not that easy. I mean, I think you sort of do something, you think, well, that's fine. I just thought, well, I've worked in English TV, so they're going to just be knocking down my door to come and do some primetime thing. You think, actually, they don't know me at all. <laughs> never heard of me at all. So you know, it doesn't, doesn't work. But the podcast is great because it is that insight into what makes people tick. You've had incredible people on. And I think that that in a way, and particularly now with COVID and everything, I feel like that's the way it's going. I feel like we want to have an insight, but we want the real insight. We don't want the manufactured insight. We like the cup of coffee, let's get down and dirty kind of, yes, that was my longed for baby because, or this happened because. And, you know, you and I were chatting a little bit beforehand because I was admitting to you that I was doing my daily scroll of sort of Instagram. And, and it is that sort of love-hate with social, isn't it? Mm. Well, 100%. And I was saying to you, I've actually muted a lot of people, even people I consider friends, not during lockdown because my life is so much smaller than it used to be. And my experience is waking up, working, living, working out in my flat. And that makes my ability to process seeing other people's worlds slightly different. And yeah. if something makes me feel like, oh, I wish that was my situation or that for some reason, and I can't really unpick why, but that doesn't make me feel good. Then I just think the safest thing to do is to mute it. And then if I've got time, I might excavate that in between Real Housewives. No, and I think, yeah, well, and we've also got the love of the Real Housewives. <laughs> Let's not forget that. I mean, what would we have done without that in lockdown? Let me tell you, I was watching it, the ones of Atlanta last night, but mm -hmm. it varies from day to day. I think you're right. And I, I, I think about it a lot because I think what, what lockdown did is it is a divide. And I think that it's made lovely people lovelier and people that perhaps weren't as lovely kind of more more it's just it's brought out the extremes it's brought it out in terms of finances you know it's a big divide on every level and, and I'm not being political but it just is a big divide and I think you're right because of I, I think mental health is ever more prevalent in lockdown and I mean it even people that didn't have mental health issues I think everybody has to a degree now suffered some kind of mental health thing in lockdown because it just is so out of our our ballpark it's out of our control the goalposts are changed. Everything that we do is sort of different. You know, people, are, I, I traveled all the time. You know, living in America wasn't a big deal. Why? Because there were 180 flights a day. You know, I could get on 17 different airlines and get home. Mm -hmm. So to me, I wasn't worried living in America that I was away from my family. Yeah. But people have made me feel terrible for being away from my family. And I'm like, but it, I didn't I mean, how did I know that would happen and that there wouldn't be like an airline, an airplane or an ability to get home? So I think it's changed everything. So what, you know, lockdown for you, has that been a challenge? Have you, what's been the good and the bad of it? I will say that lockdown has not felt challenging. And I say that with a very, very big caveat. And that caveat is that just before I started the podcast, so around 2015, I was very much, and I didn't realize it at the time because one doesn't necessarily, but I was experiencing a breakdown and I had been depressed and I had been suffering with anxiety for, for many, many years and just hadn't realized it. I just thought that was normal, but it reached a point where I was unable to really function anymore yeah. and work and live and do anything. 
I was, even if I walked out of my front door, which would take sometimes 20 minutes of coaxing, just like, it's going to be okay, just walk to the coffee shop. I would be on edge the entire time. It was just a horrible experience. So that was where I was. Yeah. And the reason why that informs my lockdown experience is because in then hitting rock bottom, having a breakdown and going through counseling and reevaluating my relationships, reevaluating who I was as a person, asking myself for the first time ever, like, what do I stand for? What makes me happy? Like, why am I constantly in a state of unhappiness? And really interrogating that with the help of a mental health professional. Yeah. And getting to a point where I felt for the first time in my life, actually like a complete person. I feel that when lockdown hit, I was able to use those tactics and strategies to keep my head above water. So one of the biggest things for me was I live an hour and 15 minutes away from my parents who are high risk because they're in their seventies. I live an hour from my brother. I live by myself. It's not an ideal situation for me not to be able to jump in my car and go and see them. But I decided to flip it and think, right, the only way I can, the, the strongest, most evident, most powerful way I can show those three humans, I love them more than anything else is by staying away from them. And it was just flipping that, that made me feel much less trapped or that lockdown was happening to me. And I think that was definitely a characteristic of my depression. I very much had victim mentality. And so I constantly saw myself as a victim, but I was also waiting for somebody else to fix it. Yep. Yeah, no, no, I hear you. Yeah. So I don't know if any listeners will, just to sort of put it into context, but have you seen, do you watch Harry Potter, please? Yes. Yes. So you know in Harry Potter where he says, my father, he comes and he he conjures the Patronus and then Hermione is like, I think it's you. I yes. feel like for a long time I was going, he, someone's going to come, someone's going to save it. And then I realized I had to cast the spell and fix yeah. it. That's why that bit of the movie and the book always makes me sob my heart. Yeah, up, no. anyway. <laughs> no, yeah. And so essentially I very much in lockdown, but I'm not a victim of this. I have so much more, I have so much autonomy in this situation actually, because I've got all these hours in the days that, that I didn't have. What yeah. am I going to do with them? That's really exciting. I just tried to flip it. And that's the that's sort of the really most simplistic way I can say it is sometimes it can feel that things are happening to you and they're rubbish. And I just try and flip it. And it's a silly thing, Emma. It might sound like total nonsense. But if you go through the world and things happen, and as I used to do, if something happened, I think that's happened to push me down or that's happened to knock me over. Now I do the opposite. And if something happens and I think I don't really like that, I think that's happened to lift you up. That's happened to push you in the right direction. And it really changes how you live. To be honest, I think you make complete sense. And I think that's something that I've often struggled with myself. I have massive anxiety and I have often done that. And it is that victim thing. And I think pre-COVID, we lived somewhere that it was very easy to fix things or to get people to fix things. And and you thought that by getting people to fix things outside of you, that that was a better way around. I mean, I used to do all sorts of things. And I think you're right. Lockdown has made everybody look inwardly. And it is a real challenge to not make it a kind of pity party and go, my God, poor me and this and flip it round. But I think that the successful people in COVID have been people that have managed to spin that round in some way and go, okay, I've got to make this good. I've got to kind of flip it out outwards. And you're right. That's such a good way to look at it with people you love is the best thing you can do is not, is not be with them, you know, is not risk it. And I think that again, 
it's been so hard with social media because there are people, it has divided people. You always thought that politics was a, mm. was a conversation not to have at a dinner party. And now with my friends, I'm like, let's not talk about COVID. Like, God forbid we bring up the vaccine. God forbid. I mean, I brought up a mask with somebody and, and you know, 20 minutes later, I was like, oh my God, I've become like a sort of campaigner for, you know, it, it's really a heated subject, which I mm. get, I understand. And each to their own, but it's a very difficult chat now and yet we should all be in it together we should all be so united that's the tough thing it is really tough and you would think it would be unifying in some way and I remember I had dinner with a friend just before just before lockdown probably a few weeks and we were talking about how what the world needed was something unifying and I remember my friend across the dinner table said in the UK we will have that when her majesty passes away and I said oh don't don't talk about that I too, I thought that COVID would be would be similar, that we would all come together. But it's been so interesting to see how there's just been so much more division. So much more division. And I think after it, I keep saying to people, I honestly think that the, the sort of mental health problems will be far bigger than the long term effects of the virus, because I think all this sort of lockdown and and I only started my podcast during lockdown and originally, I mean, what did I know? I thought, you know, I was like, I will talk to people about COVID, but kind of I'll probably just do it in passing because it won't be, won't be around that long. So we don't want to yeah. date it. And then I'm like, okay, now we need to talk to everybody about it because there is no <laughs> there is no other conversation to have. And actually I've really enjoyed it because I've talked to such a variety of people like yourselves who've dealt with it in so many different ways. And there's been so much sort of interesting tools, if you like, for people who are listening to sort of take from each interview. Everybody's been different. I mean, I started off, my first one was Julie Walters, who just got over bowel cancer. Phenomenal. And she was just like, you know, I didn't realize that she lived on a farm, like a working farm, and she didn't want to work anymore. She was like, you know, cancer for me was a full stop, and now I've got COVID. And actually working gave me massive anxiety. And I can just, I mean, I made her obviously almost swear on her life that she'd do Mamma Mia 3, but um, I, don't, I don't know that I definitely got the promise from her, but I was like, you have to do certain things. Like don't, don't stop working altogether, it'd be so selfish. I think for everybody in any position they were in, it gave them just this different perspective and, and maybe we'll come out of it in a, different, in a different way. I don't know. I mean, I guess the magazine industry, I thought about it the other day, somebody sent me a magazine and it was so thin. And I was like, oh my God, it's like, it was like the thinnest magazine I've ever been given. I thought that's so weird. Cause I always think of like how much I used to look forward to like the Vogue mm. September issue or the okay Christmas, you know, I mean, trust me, I used to buy all of them. And now they're all like, they're tiny and thin. And it's just like another, I mean, is that industry going to go? Um, I think the writing's been on the wall for a long time for yeah. magazines or print journalism, but it's it's about adapting and surviving and thriving, isn't it? So we have unfortunately seen really talented, but I mean, I, when I think about a magazine going, I think about the team of 30 odd people who are really talented and have mortgages yeah. to pay and rents to cover who have been made redundant. And I remember a few years ago saying to somebody, if I went into a bank now and asked for a business loan to start a magazine, I probably wouldn't get it because the future doesn't look bright. However, there are magazines you've adapted, who've done some really clever things and have in tandem with their print edition, they have really juicy, useful online strategies as well. So 
I think it's inevitably it's going to evolve. I mean, you're talking about Hello and OK magazine. They at one point were the only two real magazines that covered celebrity in the way that they did. And by the time I ended my career on uh, magazines in 2012, there are about seven weekly titles doing pretty much the same thing with different yeah. tones because you had heat, you had now, you had new, you had start, you had okay. Yeah. Hello. yeah, yeah. And now there just isn't the place for it. It has all gone online. And it, it's a little bit like a lot of my colleagues who came up as journalists, whether it was on newspapers or magazines, and took the leap early on enough to go online, whether that was with Instagram or YouTube or with podcasts, who've been able to transition quite not necessarily easily, because obviously it's an incredibly steep learning curve, sometimes quite late on in your career, but they have been able to transition and, and keep themselves buoyant. So yeah. I think there is something about always paying attention, always trying to see what's coming. Well, there coming. are certain magazines, like I love the behind the scenes in like Architectural Digest and the mm-hmm. Vogue 75 questions. I mean, I, I think that element of it when they put it on is clever. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's you're right, there's some clever ideas. The other thing I wanted to talk about with your... Um, podcast is your series called feel good habits mm, which you're gonna I, do I'm very excited about yes no I love that and it and it's you know you get the guests to pick five tips and strategies to pick themselves up and it's good because I'm coming on your one but it's good because you I think sometimes you don't realize you do have your own little habits and strategies but you don't necessarily think about them until somebody goes but what are your strategies and your habits and and then you can kind of go actually do you have a few little things um up my sleeve and have you noticed that everybody's a different or has everybody sort of got the same coping mechanisms or it's been quite it has been quite interesting and I actually remember I started that podcast just after the first UK lockdown and I was mid-workout in my living room I was mid-jump on a BOSU ball (laughs) mid like and I thought I'm not giving my listeners what they need right now and it was quite interesting early on it was very much about things like and a lot of my friends are in the beauty industry so it was very much things about pampering or taking your time with your beauty regime and as it's evolved and people have had to dig a little bit deeper than just oh I'll leave this face mask on a bit longer or I'll (laughs) do that hair mask but it's been at the back of the cupboard and it's been really interesting to see how they have become a little bit more complicated because even though it's called feel good habits and it might seem quite light and effervescent and hey here are five things that will make you feel better what we're really trying to extrapolate in this in these episodes is how to stop a bad day turning into a bad week because the spiral down in depression, which yep. <laughs> I have been on myself and I'm sure many listeners identify, it can be something that if unchecked, if you don't check in with yourself, it's very easy to stop doing those things that make you feel better. Stupidly, I have a rake, I have a carpet rake. And if my carpets have got too many footprints on them, it sends me, it spiral, it, no, I spiral, no, I, I grab the rake and I, I brush the carpets and it makes me feel good and it yeah. makes my brain feel more organized. And that's something that when I was, I remember saying to my therapist once, look, I'm not dirty, but I can get really untidy. And she said, well, let's unpick that. And I'm not untidy anymore because yeah. an un, for me, an untidy home is my untidy mind. And if I take yeah. five minutes at the end of the day, to wipe down the kitchen surfaces, put everything away, empty the dishwasher. When I go into that kitchen in the morning, my attitude, everything is so different. I was thinking about it in light of speaking to you is that often the habits that you know make me feel good, I realize are the ones that I apologize for, mm. right? So for instance, this morning, my husband has had to drive into New York just for the day and the night. 
my feel good habit is that I have to tick the box that I have put everything he needs in the bag. So I have put in the sanitizer and this and, you know, the vitamin C to take tomorrow morning and all these things. And I end up apologizing for it, but actually it is the way it quietens my mind Mm -hmm. because whether he goes in and ever uses it or takes the vitamin or kind of, you know, puts on the gloves to put the petrol in the car, whatever it is, in my mind, that takes that anxiety out. Yeah. But I always apologize for it. And I have to double check it. And I go, you did put it in the car. And he goes, yes, I put it in the car because it drives him nuts, right? Mm-hmm. And I go, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then I thought, no, but actually it's the thing that makes me feel good. But you often apologize for your habits. Like you just said to me, I rake the thing. I'm actually thinking, I wish I had a carpet rake. That's exactly what came into my mind. I'll send like, you the link. Because <laughs> I didn't know you could get one. Can it be delivered on Amazon Prime? And yes, I need one because I hate. Because all I wear now is Ugg slippers and they've got big footprints. And so (laughs) if you've got your Ugg slipper, yes, exactly. So they leave a very, and we do love Ugg and we're not sponsored by Ugg, but you know, they do leave a very big footprint in the carpet. So I'm just thinking, yes, I'd love to rake, I'd love to rake a carpet. And I think you're right. I laugh as well because my mother, my sister and I talk about it a lot. If ever we went through a sort of drama as a teenager, you know, a school drama or, you know, falling out with a friend or a boyfriend or something that happened, her go-to thing for both of us was she'd always pay for our highlights. She'd go, I'll pay for you to go and get highlights done. And we used to say, it was like the sort of cure-all. Do you know what I mean? We'd go, oh my God, that'd be amazing. You know, and you'd go and have highlights done. And I don't know that it ever really did anything, but that was what she thought would make us feel better. She'd be like, I know you've had that terrible breakdown. I'll get your highlights done. And we'd go, oh my God, that'd be amazing. Like like that was going to solve the world or COVID. But at the time, (laughs) (laughs) it sort of makes me laugh, all those things. So I love the fact that you're doing that. And I think you're right. Gone are the days of the kind of, I leave a beauty mask on or I give myself a manicure. It's gone a lot deeper than that. Well, there's value in that. I don't want to dismiss that or diminish it, but I do think... It's interesting, isn't it? These trends that we go through, particularly in beauty. And I feel at the moment there is a trend, dare I say, and I might be sounding a little bit extravagant and a little bit um, over the top here, but I almost feel it's a bit dangerous, whereby we're sort of putting mental health and beauty and somehow that pairing the two together will in some way support or fix your mental health. I find that Actually, personally, I find that quite offensive. So when I get deliveries and it's a beauty brand and they, they're sending me their product with gratitude cards and affirmation cards and they're selling it to quite a young audience saying, yeah. you say your affirmations every morning, you're a good person. No, I'm no. sorry. I don't believe that those two go hand in hand. No, I agree. And actually on that front, I interviewed somebody the other day. You know, when you interview somebody and it really switches a light bulb in you and I was having him on and he'd kind of, email to say, listen, I'm, I'm very against kind of wellness gurus to, to, you know, not against them, but he was like, I have a problem with the word. And I was like, no, 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 I want to do an interview like that. So talk to me. And he said, you know, I just find that, you know, wellness as a word is just, you know, who wants to be illness? Like who wants illness? Everybody wants wellness. And I thought, God, that's, yeah. I mean, you're right. And he said, and the problem is, is that there is this kind of social divide of like, if you have green juice, you're not going to get sick, you know, and, and, and people that can't afford to make fresh green juice and buy organic celery and organic lemons and stuff, you're making them feel bad that they're not doing enough for themselves. And it really struck home with me because I thought, God, yes, you know, I do post 
green juice and I do post those things and 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 you do have to be much more aware of not preaching to people that this is a cure-all and and it's the same with the beauty industry like it cannot be linked to mental health it cannot be linked like that well it's this idea that self-care and cocooning oneself in a nice hot bath with nice oils or beautifully smelling oils that have some sort of benefit and actually that's the one bit of woo-woo I, I there's there is evidence there but this idea that cocooning yourself and saying affirmations is good for you actually and I think maybe we're of a similar generation whereby actually it's going through the difficult stuff that that builds you, not yeah. cocooning yourself and having a nice hot bath and putting a mask on your hair. It's facing the challenges. It's actually confronting the stuff about you that I remember I had a guest on my podcast last year, Jeff Thompson, an absolutely amazing man. And he said, if something triggers you or if you are scared of something, run at it full pelt and face it because yeah. that's that's where your growth needs to be. It's triggering you or it's upsetting you for a reason. And so I find something quite dangerous about you've, you've triggered me by saying that don't say it. And obviously if something's offensive, I'm not saying that um, people shouldn't be offended if, if people are being no. rude and deliberately offensive, but actually if somebody says something to me that I don't like, so if somebody says, Emma, you're fat, which is something I've struggled with my whole life, that bothers me. And they might be actually saying something that is medically true. I might be overweight, but I need to deal with my response to that, not tell them to stop saying it. The thing that is going to serve me better in the long term, is not chastising everybody who says something I don't like. It's building up my own emotional and mental yeah. reserves, boundaries and barriers so that I can handle those things when they happen. Yes. And also be the person where people don't say that because that is an offensive comment but I do think there are people where people feel it's okay to say those kind of things to people do, do you know what I, I, mean, mm. I think you're so right and I think that we we kind of do need to to do that and also even with things like meditation or people kind of going actually what you need to do every day is do this if you are anxious or worried sometimes the anxiety of trying to meditate or trying to kind of go this is what I have been told is my feel good thing. I haven't said my daily mantra, you know, therefore that's kind of, I'm a failure. I'm a total failure. I can't even meditate. I can't do this. I can't do that. And I actually in lockdown threw away a lot of self-help books because I realized that what I would do is buy a lot of self-help books and I would buy them thinking, well, that's going to make me feel much better. Just the book, physically mm -hmm. getting the book. It would come on Amazon. I'd be like, oh, I've got the new book, you know, and it's called This Is Me or I'm New or whatever it is. And I would get it and I'd delay opening it, like keep putting it off. You know, I'll do that tonight. I'll do that tomorrow. And then I dig in. And guaranteed in those first few pages, there would be something that I could not achieve. Mm. I, I can guarantee it. It would read and go, what you need to do is before you get up in the morning, lie and just have 10 minutes to yourself. And I thought, but I have a dog who's like desperate for a pee. Like I can never do that. Like that just doesn't ever happen. I live in America. There's a five hour time difference. So I always wake up to a text from the family and I'm right, like right on it because it's mm. lunchtime with that. So instantly you set yourself up almost for this, failure-like existence. So I, I'm afraid I throw a lot of that away. I think that's actually really healthy. And I have seen it with people. When I was really struggling with my mental health, I might not have necessarily known I was struggling with my mental health, but I was very much drawn to a lot of people who would talk about affirmations or say these mantras or tell me about this book. And after a little while, I realized they were just going from book to book to book. Yes. I'm actually getting any their problems weren't changing no they were just 
quoting from different books. And I think I come from a, a family of tough love and of real work ethic of don't stay there. Don't like, if you're unhappy, don't linger, get out, pull yourself yeah. out. Yeah. And so I, so I have a bit of a love hate relationship with self-help books because there are some books in the category that are wonderful. Yes. Are no, brilliant. no, absolutely. Yeah. But then there is just this element of it, of if you're, as you say, if you're buying the book, then by osmosis, you're somehow a better, yeah. more evolved person. No, I loved looking at my shelf of self-help books because yeah. people would come over and go, wow, like you're so, you're so well educated on this. I'd be like, I know. And then I thought, actually, I'm literally living a lie. I haven't opened these books at all. I've got them lined up with the candle. I mean, it was almost like I'd styled my self-help life. I made it look incredible, you know, with the kind of little vintage you know, little thing with kind of trinkets and a little, you know, rose quartz and the candle. And then I wasn't reading them. I thought, no, that's got to go. Yeah. Did you colour code your bookcase? Because I did. No, but funny you should mention it because I looked at that. I only just discovered that quite recently on somebody else's Instagram. And I thought, should I have done that? I, the answer is I 100% would have done it, but I just didn't see it in time. In the first week of lockdown in the UK, so last March, I did an Instagram story and I said, I'm going to colour code my bookcase because I have a bookcase, which is cubed. So it's four, four by oh, four. Perfect. Cubed. Yeah. Really easy. And then 20 minutes later, I did a story, all the books on the floor and there's a lot more books than I realised. <laughs> I know, and, I, and quite hard to do, actually. You realise that they're quite curated, those bookshelves, in terms of, like, people go out and buy yellow-coloured books and then six green-coloured ones in order to do that. You see, I can't really do that. Yeah, so, but I've, I've learned to embrace the imperfect, both in my bookshelf and my life. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so I'm going to now ask you my two sort of key questions, which is what gives you life? Oh, I like this one. So I, I didn't really have to think very uh, hard about this one. It's really simple. It's friends and family, but it's also me. Um, so with friends and family, I, I haven't seen my family properly uh, at a distance. I haven't seen them any closer than that for nearly a year now. But we, I was thinking about this earlier, knowing that we were speaking, and I think about my family dynamic and if you were to take our four personalities and put them into a crowded party, I'm not sure that they would naturally gravitate towards each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when we're together, it can be the hardest I laugh. It can be the most I think. It can be the deepest I feel. And I'm really grateful for them. Every time we speak and my parents get a bit upset that we're not able to see each other, I, again, I flip it and I say, but look at this. You didn't have this kind of, you didn't have FaceTime or Zoom or video calls when you were born. We've got them now. There's never been a better time. So yeah. I try and look at it like that. And I try to cherish the video calls, even though we obviously know they're not as nice as seeing people in person. Yeah. My friends, I've been extremely cautious in lockdown and because of my family and in case I did have to go and see them for any reason. And so I haven't seen friends. And then a friend of mine put something on social media uh, on New Year's Eve. And it was very out of character, I thought. My interpretation was, I don't think she's having a great time. New Year's Day, I went to the supermarket and I picked up her favourite things and I went round and I just, my intention was just to, from the road, wave and say, are you okay? Just in case you need <laughs> to know you're loved. Yeah. And it was freezing cold on New Year's Day and we ended up standing out in the street <laughs> uh, at two metres apart and we spoke for 90 minutes and we both froze. We both yeah. froze, but when we both left, despite the fact we had to wait a couple of hours for our toes to get the feedback, 
afterwards, I felt like I had been plugged in. I felt like I had been recharged yeah. just seeing my friend in the flesh. When I say me, that isn't meant to sound arrogant. It's meant to convey the fact that when I pre my breakdown, let's call it that, I was not good at spending time by myself. So for example, I was very much devoted to my job on OK Magazine. So to the point where it was all I did. And I would very often leave that job on a Friday evening and then not speak to anybody or go out until Monday morning when I'd go back into work, apart from my two trips to the supermarket to get something to eat. And that was very lonely and very dark. And when you hear about it now, it's like, well, clearly, Emma, that wasn't healthy, but there we go. Yeah. I would be waiting to go back to work or I'd be waiting until there were other people around. And what was really helpful in going through what I went through with depression and anxiety and working with a therapist and various other things is that I've really learned to enjoy my own company. And again, I think that's been a really lovely thing in lockdown in that I don't, I used to tap my feet or think, why aren't I there? Or why haven't I been invited to that party? Which I know I wouldn't enjoy if I was there anyway. It would just be the act of going. Yeah. So I would say, so that's it, my friends and my family and also me, because if I'm by myself, I can enjoy myself. I can, that's whether great. it's a jigsaw or making a really gorgeous coffee, I, I take pleasure in that. And that's stuff I can do for me. Love that. And what about what feeds your soul? This is such an interesting one. And I think the podcast has helped with this insofar as it started out very much about showing off the people in the beauty industry and it turned into learning and seeing life through other people's eyes and I really feel that the things I've learned from the podcast from my guests have been so powerful and so learning has become something we've talked about buying a book and not reading it yeah I've done that many times and now when I buy a book I get excited about what is going to be in the pages. Whereas before I, I used to buy them as trophies. Look, Marcus Aurelius on my bookshelf. <laughs> so <lovely>. Sapiens. <laughs> I've gone deep. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then I started getting people on the podcast who had written these incredible books and I'd start speed reading for the purpose of journalistic, like let's get the gist of this. And then I'd find myself lingering. And again, part of it was because I had never trained my attention span to be anything longer than a few minutes. I was like the social media generation before the social media generation. I'd never really committed to anything. I mean, the only thing I think I'd ever given my time to completely that was longer than a couple of hours was a Marvel movie. And so I've really had to train my, att my attention span yeah. and train, like you can, you know, you can read a certain book and you think, oh, I get the rhythm of this, particularly yeah fiction or if it's somebody sharing their expertise you understand their rhythm and you begin to understand why they've placed that information there and you can see they've signposted something that's going to come later in the book so I've learned to really love that and actually I started a distance learning course a couple of weeks ago and I just had to do the beginning course which <laughs> is you have to essentially read a couple of pages of text and then do a multiple choice and I was so bad at it. I wasn't retaining any of the information at all. So I had to go back because I knew if I did those multiple choices, I would fail. So I actually had to go back and teach myself not just to read, but to pay attention. To pay attention. Yeah, because we multitask. I think that feeds my soul. And also I would like to add the benefits of pausing or being slow for actually really centering and making you feel 
well and happy because I think if you're always on the go which is something I like to do when you stop for whatever reason whether you decide to or whether somebody else decides to it can be too jarring and I actually quite like slow time and pausing and just enjoying the moment which might sound very twee and twinky twonky but hey that's what it is no I love it and I have loved every second of chatting to you today I could make this a 12-hour podcast but I can't or maybe I should have done but Emma thank you so much that was absolutely brilliant and oh, um, thank you for having me You're I can't wait to come on your podcast I can't wait to have you on my mutual podcast. podcast respect um Emma Guns thank you very much and we will direct everybody to where they find your podcast and everything as well thank you for having me Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And also, if you've enjoyed this episode, do leave a five-star review and you can find out more by going to buyemma.co.